Hello, everybody, and welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals preview show. I am Justin Cashman, accompanied by Alex Frank, and we are into week two of the NFL season. It's game day. <laughs> game day, as we say here, is Thursday, er, almost Thursday afternoon, and we are going into our first AFC North matchup of the year against the Browns, Thursday Night Football tonight at 8.20. And I don't know about you, Alex, but I am pumped up. I think this is going to be our first oh. one of the season. I think that... Oh, you're already dropping... You're already <laughs> dropping predictions. Yeah, I know. how pumped up you are. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> listen, listen. How can you not be pumped up for this game? It's the battle for Ohio. It's on national television. The two quarterbacks are former number one overall draft picks. There's talent all over the field. We're going to get to that in a minute. And like you said, this is a divisional game. The Bengals last year ended the regular season on a, with a divisional win against this largely the same Browns team. And they played really well. They, they arguably played well the first time they played them. Up in Cleveland. So the Bengals know they can win this game. The difference is the Bengals now have Joe Burrow. The difference is the Bengals now have A.J. Green. The difference is the Bengals now have a competent defense. The difference is this year is different. Exactly. And both of these teams have a lot of unknowns. You know, the Bengals after week one, there's still a lot of... I mean, we know what how Joe Burrow played and we know how this offensive line played, but they're still... It's only through week one. And, you know, week one isn't necessarily exactly how a team plays throughout the entirety of the season just like how the Browns got trampled by the Ravens yes they got trampled by the Ravens but the Ravens are arguably going to be a Super Bowl team so it's tough to tell because the Browns could come out swinging they have as many offensive weapons as the Bengals almost uh, I mean as I'd go to say and then they didn't have a lot of turnover on the roster this offseason they added a couple of new additions they got a new head coach and so I mean it's really it's really hard to tell and predict exactly how the two teams are going to, uh, you know, go up against one another. But, I mean, personally, I think the Bengals have the advantage in uh, quite a few positional areas. Uh, I don't know about you, Alex. How do you feel going to this matchup? I actually feel pretty good considering how both teams' week one games transpired. Now, you say week one, we don't really get a clear indication of how a team is going to play. I think we got that with the Ravens. They might be the exception here, but at the same time, I feel really good. I think... I saw enough from Joe Burrow on Sunday. I saw enough from the defense. I mean, we talked about on Monday how they played a bend-don't-break defense. At the same time, though, look, they didn't break. They held the Chargers on three red zone trips to just one touchdown. One touchdown. That was in the fourth quarter. And I would argue the most important defensive stand was after Joe Mixon's fumble in which Jesse Bates had a tremendous pass breakup in the end zone on Hunter Henry. And that game could have been blown open right there. Sorry for the... uh, the text that comes in, people are texting me their scores for tonight's game, and I'm telling you right now, if you can't get pumped up for this game, look, this is not the Steelers, this is not the Ravens, if you can't get pumped up for the Browns as a Bengals fan, I'm sorry, there, there's something wrong with you, because this is the team you should beat. Exactly, and I think that Zach Taylor said that in his news conference, he said that everyone's fired up, he said that everyone's pumped up. Yeah, you're right. It isn't the it isn't the Steelers. It isn't the Ravens. Where I feel like going to those games, we're more pessimistic than going to this game. We're very optimistic, and I think that this is a game that we could very easily win. I think this is a game that you know we look at both games on the schedule and we say, well, you know, those are games that we could both win. Where usually, if you look at the schedule, you say, oh, well, maybe we can win a home game against the Steelers, maybe a home game against the Ravens, but you know, on those road games, that it's probably going to chalk it up as a loss. Um, but for me, I think one of the big things that's going to be a big factor in, you know, the score tonight is going to be these injuries. I mean, we were looking at the injury report. We were talking about it right before we uh, got started. And, you know, both teams are really banged up. 
especially the Bengals on the defensive line, you know, that Geno's out, Mike Daniels was out. And those are two guys that, are, you know, we're going to have, you know, Geno's a starter and then Mike Daniels is a, you know, prominent backup. And then you look at guys on the Browns, their starting left tackle is questionable. Starting right tackle is questionable. Olivier Vernon is questionable. Greedy Williams is out. Mac Wilson out. JC Treader is questionable. Kevin Johnson out. So I don't know about you, but how do you feel looking at the injury report, depending on how it goes, do you think that we might be able to take advantage of certain positional battles? Well, no question. When you think about the Browns and the fact that outside of their defensive line, which we'll get to in a minute, they have a slew of injuries. You mentioned Mac Wilson, linebacker. He's out. You mentioned uh, Greedy Williams. He's out. Jacob Phillips is out. Uh, who else did you mention is out on um, the defensive side? I feel like uh, Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson. Jacob out. Phillips. Jacob mentioned Phillips. I mean, I mean, I'd say, I mean, that's a significant and their secondary to begin with. Outside of Denzel Ward, it's not very good. Grant Delpit, who was supposed to be, you know, an anchor at safety, he's out for the season with an Achilles injury. And then you think about their offensive line, Shredder being out, that's a huge loss. Anytime you lose your center, that's huge. Because forget the fact that he snaps the ball, he still has blocking assignments. Um, you think about, and if Jedrick Wills plays a left tackle, if Jack Conklin plays a right tackle, how effective are they going to be on a short week? The tape from the first game will tell you that those two tackles, I think, are really good. I thought the Browns' offensive line was really solid on Sunday against the Ravens for the most part. But the problem is, and we'll get to this, Baker Mayfield just struggled. And Baker Mayfield has so much talent around him. I, I, I'm not sure what it is. If it's, I, Dan Orlovsky pointed to his accuracy issues, and he's right. I mean, you look at his rookie season. Baker made throws that it made you just... Shake your head in awe at how. Do you remember they played Carolina? He made a throw rolling to his left. I remember that to Jarvis, Jarvis Landry. Landry. It might have been triple coverage. Baker Mayfield is a talented quarterback. I'm not saying he isn't. He just he just hasn't put it together yet, and he's been given a. I mean, he's been given a lethal group of weapons: Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Austin Hooper now is here at tight end. But with the injuries, the Bengals have an opportunity, have an opportunity, particularly on offense. If you can establish the quick pass game that we talked about, that's going to force Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi to step up. Now, I think they will have, they will have an impact on the game tonight, considering, considering that the right side of the Bengals offensive line, which, whew, I mean, someone brought it up to me on uh, to, uh, Wednesday morning. At 700, Jeff Carr, the host of Locked On Reds podcast, he goes, if Bobby Hart is starting ahead of Fred Johnson, that tells you how bad Fred Johnson is. Yeah. and you think- but, but, but do you agree with that? Because I'm just thinking, why are we starting Bobby Hart? Because he's a veteran right tackle and we paid him $21 million for whatever reason? No. I, it shouldn't be that way. And now Billy Price has to start tonight because Xavier Suafilo's out. This is, I mean, but if those two guys can just pave the way for Joe Mixon. I wouldn't even touch the right side. I'd start run, left guard, left tackle, throw to the left, quick pass to the right. Don't try and win the game on the right side of the offensive line. And you're right. That is an interesting point about Fred Johnson. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't go as far to say that Fred Johnson, I mean, as a question, Fred Johnson's talent compared to Bobby Hart because I think Jim Turner kind of has a love for Bobby Hart. I don't know what it is. I think that... They're, I think they're hopeful in Fred Johnson that he can step in because I know back in camp he was coming in and playing some right guard. Um, 
So I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. Depending on if Bobby Hart struggles, maybe if through one half, if he struggles tonight, maybe they'll put him in. I, I'm just not sure what point it would, how far it would have to go for Bobby Hart to play bad for them to pin in Fred Johnson. So that's a great point. But yeah, I'm pretty worried about that right side. I mean, Billy Price coming in, we know what he's been the last couple of years. I mean, he was a first round pick and he just has not lived up to that. Well, in his defense, he was hurt. Um, for a majority of the first half of his rookie season. Yeah. And yeah. I thought outside of run blocking and maybe, you know, some footwork issues, I thought he did all right. The problem is, because he was injured, because Trey Hopkins stepped in and played really well at center, and he's been great ever since, he just hasn't been able to find a secure spot in the starting lineup. And when he has been in there, he hasn't been very good, obviously. No. So, it- but, but, but tonight is an opportunity to step up. You think about two years ago, right around, it was week two Thursday Night Football. You and I were both at the game. He gets hurt against the Ravens. It was a huge blow at the time. Two years later, here's your opportunity. This is the NFL. Opportunities are few and far between. Take advantage of it if you're Billy Price. Yeah, exactly. And I think that he's hungry. I think he's ready to show that he's not, that he was worth that first round pick that he got drafted with. And I think that if he plays well tonight, I think that's great for him because they brought in Xavier Suafilo kind of you don't know a whole lot about him he's had some valuable snaps with the cowboys and the texans but he's kind of a middle of the pack guy but if billy bryce billy price can come in and play just you know just a little bit above average i think that he'll be your starter for the rest of the year and i remember how confident they were in the guys with michael jordan and billy price last year and you know they kept them in the lineup despite you know not playing very well so i think Billy Price just came in tonight and did a decent job against guys like Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi. I think that you'll see Billy Price in the starting lineup for the next coming for the coming weeks. This in this defense line, I'm gonna cut you off. This defensive line, it is real. Miles Garrett had a real nice game, and keep in mind that was his first game since the infamous helmet um, incident last year on, on Thursday Night Football. Ironically, so I mean, I mean, this is gonna. I mean, this is a fun matchup because you know you can talk about you know the matchups within the matchup. Whereas I think the key to me, and I'm sure you can agree with me on this, Justin, is the right side of the Bengals' offensive line against the Browns' defensive line and Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi. But also, we talk about, you know, the offensive line. You know, an offense can't do what it wants to do if the offensive line can't protect the skill players, particularly the quarterback, in this case, Joe Burrow. If the Bengals can establish that quick passing game with A.J. Green, who I think is do for there, there's someone picking the Bengals there in our little sports chat there good for him because i may or may not agree with him on that <laughs> um i'm saying though that if you can establish that quick pass game with aj green running slants tyler boyd maybe get joe mixon involved maybe get giovanni bernard involved you know right now i would take the browns roster over the Bengals, but i take joe burrow over the entire browns roster because Baker has improved, has not proved yet that he can win with this kind of talent. They, they put together a nice three-game win streak last year in the middle of the season. They looked really good. And the, the thought was, okay, if they can go into Pittsburgh and win on the road there, they'd be 6-6. Six and six. They'd still be in the hunt for a playoff berth. And after going 5-6, and six, they lose four of their last five games. And I, Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say... It's, just, it's interesting to me because Baker Mayfield, you know, he came in as a number one pick. He came in as a guy that's probably going to 
I don't know. I don't know if you'd say savior of the city. Not like a Joe Burrow coming to Cincinnati. I don't get the same feeling for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. And he did have such a good rookie year, and he made some good throws, and he, you know, he won them some games. And then they surround him with more talent. They bring in Odell Beckham, and then this offseason they bring in Jack Conklin to give him some protection. They get they bring in Austin Hooper from the Falcons, and so you know he has all these weapons at his disposal. Jarvis Landry they brought in, and it's just interesting to me to think that. I think any other quarterback would probably have, you know, damn near an MVP season with those kind of guys. I mean, I don't know about you, but those are two of the most elite wide receivers in the entire NFL, or elite slot wide receiver in Jarvis Landry, and then Odell Beckham being an arguably top five wide receiver. Exactly. So it's interesting to me because I don't know if it's play calling. I know Kevin Stefanski is calling the plays, and or I don't know if it's just a matter of you know, not having confidence, not having any preseason. Or I don't know what it is, but I, no, mean, I mean that's no excuse. Kevin Stefanski played was the play caller last year for Minnesota. Look what the Vikings did. They went ten and six and won a playoff game uh in New Orleans. And they had a very talented roster. Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Stefan Dix, Adam Thielen. He, I mean, Thielen and Diggs, but he would what they were to Stefanski's offense last year is what Landry and Beckham should be this year. But you look at Sunday, Beckham, three catches on ten targets, and this guy's Kevin Stefanski, I, I told you this, Charles Davis the CBS analyst for the game on Sunday with Ian Eagle, he said that Kevin Stefanski told him that um, Odell Beckham's an unbelievable talent. And he goes out for three catches on 10 (laughs) targets? Now, is that coaching? Maybe not necessarily, because if you target Beckham 10 times in the game, although I think you should target him 15 times at maybe the least, if you target him 10 times a game, you're, you're, you're trying to get him the ball. Maybe that's an issue with Baker Mayfield which the two struggle with accuracy issues last year. I saw earlier earlier today, Beckham last year had 74 receptions on 133 targets. That is terrible. I mean, that is terrible. That's a terrible ratio of targets to receptions. That means it's either, okay, I'm either going to catch it or I'm not, where it's like, okay, I'm going to catch it 75% of the time the ball is thrown to me. This is why why receivers like Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, who have elite quarterbacks, by the way, this this is why they make receptions on targets. Their quarterbacks have accuracy mastered. Baker Mayfield, as Dan Orlovsky said on Monday, does not. And you look at Beckham. You said it, Justin. He is a top five wide receiver. When he's playing at the top of his game, name me five wide receivers better than Odell Beckham Jr. You can't. Jarvis Landry, an elite slot receiver. He was there in Cleveland before Beckham was there. Now, Landry somehow had more receptions last year than Beckham. And he had more touchdowns. Maybe Baker, and that, that might be because Landry had a year up on Cleveland's with Mayfield than Beckham, and maybe Cleveland figures it out tonight, which, quite frankly, they need to. Because let me tell you something, and this was said, Colin Coward said it, and I'm sure it's been said elsewhere. If the Bengals beat the Browns tonight, sure, the Bengals, I mean, it would be a great win for the Bengals. Be, be a great win. Momentum building, confidence booster. This, let's be real. This game, from a national perspective and narrative, it's about the Browns. And if the Browns lose tonight, man, is it going to be a miserable 10 days in Cleveland? I can, Cleveland, I cannot wait to tune in to Cleveland sports talk shows and just hear them just beat the crap out of this team. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up, you know, just the narrative on the media because you think about Bengals and you think about primetime, and the two don't go hand in hand, really. They do, the Bengals do not play well in primetime. But now with Joe Burrow in this new era, I don't feel that same. I don't feel that same energy about you know 
oh, Bengals going to lose in the big primetime game, you know, just like they always do. I don't get that feeling anymore. I don't feel I don't feel discouraged, even though it is the Browns. You know, I feel very confident. And, you know, I just think it's very interesting because under Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, their failures and, you know, these big primetime games, you know, it just gets talked about by the media so much. And even the media, I think, doesn't even feel that same way anymore. I mean, you think about the momentum that That's, we could give. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I was listening to Colin Coward, and, you know, he had all the right things to say about Joe Burrow. And I think that, and I was looking at a few predictions, and a lot more had the bang- going with the Bengals than I would have expected. You know, guys like Peter Schrager, guys like Nate Burleson on Good Morning Football, those are guys that believe in the Bengals going into this matchup. And you talked about momentum. You know, you look at the games right after this. We go to Philadelphia on the 27th. Uh, they they struggled. Yeah, and Philadelphia struggled. And I think that judging by how they play against the Rams this week, I think that's going to be a game that the Bengals could, you know, be an upset. And then you look at the game after that. I believe it's home against Jacksonville. Is that yeah, the Jacksonville and, game? And you really can't judge them based off of week one. They go to Tennessee this week. Talk to me after, after they perform in Tennessee, however they perform. Now, I will give Jacksonville credit. Gardner Minshew played really well on, on Sunday, and maybe he's a better quarterback than we give him credit for. Maybe Jacksonville has a better team than we give them credit for. But two things to piggyback off of what you just said, Justin. Number one, it's I think the reason why we haven't heard all the talk about the Bengals' primetime failures is because of Joe Burrow. It's, it is like a new slate. The slate's been wiped clean. The Bengals went 6-16 six and 16 in, the last, in the 2010s in primetime. They weren't very good. And the sure as heck weren't very good with Marvin Lewis. I think they went like 7-23 and 23 or something like that. The slate's been wiped clean. This is Joe Burrow. He won in Tuscaloosa last year on a national stage. Uh, won at Texas on a national stage. Sean and I were talking about this last night on our Bearcat show. I mean, he, he, he started rooting for LSU right there and then because they go into Texas and beat them in the way they did. You realize Joe Burrow threw to three receivers to give them each 100 yards? That's insane production right there. Now, he may not have the same receiving core here that he had at LSU last year. I mean, that was a very unique situation. However, he does have A.J. Green. He does have Tyler Boyd. And you look at you think about A.J. Green, his recent primetime performances. Because the reason why the Bengals struggled on primetime is because they wouldn't give the ball to A.J. Green. Okay, uh, week 16 at Denver had a touchdown in that game. Week 4 against Miami in 20... Uh, that game in, at Denver in week 16 was 2015. Week 4, 2016 against the Dolphins. Nine catches, buck 72, touchdown. Uh, Monday Night Football that same year had another touchdown. Had a decent game against Houston, I think, in week 2 in 2017. He had uh, two touchdowns against the Steelers on Monday Night Football in 2017. Should have had a third one. Terrible holding call on Gio Bernard. Don't know if you remember that exact play. It was, no, on, it was on Brett Kiesel, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the last primetime game that the Bengals won, Thursday Night Football against Baltimore, Week 2, 2018. Green has three touchdowns in the first 15 minutes, 17 minutes of the game. And then against Kansas City, you might remember the Bengals got crushed that game. You may not remember that A.J. Green had 10 catches in that game. On 12 targets, might I add. Something like that. A.J. Green can perform on primetime. Yeah, and it's hard to argue that A.J. Green's difference in the games that he does play versus the ones that he doesn't play is incredible. I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I've seen the record of the games that he's started in and the games that he hasn't started in, the, their record. And, I mean, their record is well over 500 compared to the games that he doesn't start is well below 500. And so it's hard to argue the impact that he has on this team. And you think about, like, 
in the uh, 2015 playoff game, you think about that big catch that he had from AJ McCarron for the touchdown in the last, you know, what was it five, six minutes of the game? It was in the last two minutes. Yeah, last two minutes, yeah. And you think about, you know, he makes these big plays, and he's missed quite a few playoff games, or he missed the game against Indianapolis, I believe. And then, was it, what was it? Did he miss another playoff game? Or am, I, or am I mistaken? I might he, be no, thinking he's, of a, he's only missed one playoff game. Okay, so it was against Indianapolis, and you know, and they lost that game. But then again, AJ Green, he's while well, he's a great player, I don't think that. I, I hate to say it, but this team, I think they do need him. I think he does provide a valuable weapon for Joe Burrow. But they have such a good wide receiver core behind him that I think that. Just like I said in the last few weeks, they don't need him to do everything. They don't need him to be that guy that goes out for a thousand yards. But I mean, they need him to be just a guy that Joe Burrow can rely on week to week. They need him to be consistent. They need him to stay healthy. They don't need him to be the number one wide receiver. They don't need him to be a top five wide receiver in the NFL. As much as I'm sure that he has the ability to, um, but I think that I would like to see guys like Tyler Boyd and John Ross, even Drew Sample, get more involved in the uh, in the game plan tonight because I feel like way too often last week that Joe Burrow, I wouldn't say that he didn't look for others other than A.J. Green, but I feel like a lot of times he targeted A.J. Green and some questionable throws. But, you know, after hearing about how much, uh, what's the word, you know, how good the relationship and how good the, um, you know, the connection was between Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd this offseason, I would love to see that, you know, I would love to see that tonight. I'd love to see Tyler Boyd catch a touchdown. I'd love to see Drew Sample have four, five-plus catches. I'd love to see John Ross at least have some impact, at least catch the ball in bounds, you know. So I think that's something that I'm yeah, going to no be looking. Kidding. That's going to be something I'm going to be looking out for tonight. Well, and that's the thing. Like, there's so many narratives that can come out of this game. It can be. I mean, think about this. What if AJ Green goes out and has like eight for a hundred and a touchdown? Then it's like AJ Green is back. And then you know, you talk about how do the do the Bengals absolutely need AJ Green? I'm more now on the yes side because think about this. I mean. The hard part is if you pay AJ Green, you're making a huge risk, much more of a risk than they than they than the Bengals took when they paid Joe Mixon. That much is for certain. But AJ Green is so valuable to this team, it's it's indescribable. Because what happened last year, Justin? Think about this. Twenty. Okay, so the season opener in Seattle, the Bengals' offense looked great. I knew. Defenses were like, hmm. No A.J. Green? Easy. John Ross? Can't stay healthy. We'll target him. And they did. We'll shut down Joe Mixon? They did. They forced Andy Dalton to throw the ball to Alex Erickson and Auden Tate. That's not winning you games. This year, opposing defenses are like, oh, we have to cover Boyd. Oh, but wait, there's A.J. Green, who looks just as good, who looks, you know, at least a glimpse of himself from 2018. I'm sorry. The, the the offense this year is so different that it has the potential to catch opposing defenses off guard because it, it is a pick your poison. And then you think about, as you mentioned, Drew Sample. Does he need four or five catches? Maybe not. Uzama needs those touches, though. Uh, Joe Mixon. Give him the ball 20 to 25 times a game. This guy needs those carries. He's that good. I, I, I brought this point. I, I, I thought about this this morning. You think about the running backs in this game. Nick Chubb, that guy should be getting 20 to 25 carries a game. Do you know that he had less than 20 carries in each of his last four regular season games last year? Really? Yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know and that. He's, and he's your best offensive player. Does Kevin Stefanski know that? I don't know. 
Yeah, and he should know. I mean, he's worked with guys like Dalvin Cook. You know, he should know how valuable the running back can be to this offense, and especially when you have two guys, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. You know, that's kind of like a pick your poison. You know, you can go with either. Um, but then again, here, don't mind me. While I'm just pulling that. I mean, Cleveland, sh- Cleveland should be performing better with the talent that they have. And that's why this game oh, is going to come down to coaching. Which head coach, Zach Taylor of the Bengals, Kevin Stefanski of the Browns, can coach the individual talented players on his team to mesh them in to mesh them into a team the best and lead that team to a victory that's what this game comes down to it's sure there's there's great talent on the field you can say it comes down to the off the Bengals right side of the offensive line against the browns defensive line you can say it comes down to the browns depleted linebacking core and secondary somehow controlling containing joe burrow and the Bengals offense no it comes down to coaching can kevin stefanski know okay nick chubb is uh, doing really well. I need to keep giving giving him the ball. I need to target Odell Beckham on third down. Don't target Harrison Bryant on third down. Don't target Austin Hooper on third down. No. Go to Odell Beckham. You got him for a reason, I think. And if you're the Bengals, if you're Zach Taylor, we talked about running the ball on that third down and two play, Justin, in the third quarter. Joe Mixon had carried the ball six times on that drive prior to that play. You run the ball there. You keep the clock running. You tire out the defense. You keep the momentum on your side. Run Joe Mixon. Um, you talk about end of the first half. You get the ball on the 41-yard line with 111 to go. Don't be conservative. Go down and score. And sure as hell, don't give the, the Browns an opportunity to score because they're playing at home. There will be fans in the stands tonight, 6,000 of them. Can't believe we said that in 2020. Normally, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Hmm. You do this year. This game comes down to coaching. Forget about the talents on the field. They're not. It's not going to do anything if they're not coached the right way and used the right way. No, exactly. And sorry, what I was going to bring up earlier was I was just going to look at the stats for Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And I know you mentioned earlier that Nick Chubb had a great run down the uh, left side for however so many yards. It was the first way the game they ran a draw play up the left guard for about a 10-11 yard run for a first down. Shouldn't that tell Kevin Stefanski, hmm, this is going to work? Yeah, no, exactly. And if you have the guy with the hot hand, keep running and don't just, you know, I couldn't imagine being a running back and having, you know, had a few good runs and then just been take, being taken out. What's that going to do to your confidence? You know, so if Joe Mixon, if he has a high hand and he has a good, few good runs, don't bring in Giovanni Bernard. Keep giving Joe Mixon the ball. Get him involved in the pass game. You know, Giovanni Bernard, I know how this team feels about him. They wouldn't have brought him back in if they didn't like him. So, but they, And he's a good blocker, and I know they like him on third downs, but Joe Mixon, they need to get him more involved. Like you said, he needs 20 to 25 rushes a game at least because that's going uh, to give this team the advantage. That's going to give this team the opportunity to – you know, do a lot more with the play action, do a lot more with the RPO. I don't know if you remember, they had the RPO uh, pass to A.J. Green this past week. And I think if they can get, it was like the, I think it was A.J. Green's first catch was an RPO. Um, it was maybe second catch? I don't, I don't remember exactly. But RPOs if, work. If you can get this defense, you know, on, their, on the balls of their feet, and they have to worry about Joe Mixon, then that opens up the pass game. That opens up down, the downfield shots that we didn't really get to see last week. That opens up, you know, the that ju- it just opens up the playbook playbook a lot more, and it's going to be easier for Joe Burrow and easier for Zach Taylor to call these plays. But I understand why coaches sometimes, even if they, you know their primary running backs having a great game, in this case it would be Joe Mixon for the Bengals. If you want to br- if you want to bring in Gio Bernard on a third down to establish him out of the backfield as a presence and keep the and keep that in the backs of the Browns' heads, if you want to do that, fine. But at the same time, look at what the Titans do. If Derrick Henry, I mean, he had 30, he had 31 carries on Monday night. 31. 
They kept giving him the ball. What a concept. By the way, Ryan Tannehill threw 43 passes on Monday night. That shows you exactly what I said about the Titans. Kind of off topic. Team that, by the way, the Bengals played them week eight. That team is a combination of smash mouth in your face, run the football with a uh, flair for the uh, finesse on offense with Ryan Tannehill. Don't tell me Ryan Tannehill is not a good quarterback. Look at the stats on Monday. They'll prove you wrong. But anyway... Exactly. Joe Mixon, I'm going to say it every game, is the key for the Bengals' offense because he's so valuable. He runs the, he goes, the Bengals go as he goes. Think about last year, Nick Chubb, I mentioned he had less than 20 carries in each of the Bengals, uh, Browns, sorry, last four games. Joe Mixon had 20 or more carries in each of the last four games. Oh, funny how that actually (laughs) is a good thing to do. Run the football. What a concept. What about, I'm just going to go back to the Tennessee game. I just thought it was hilarious. I don't know if you watched the whole game, but Steven Goskowski, he missed like his first three or four kicks, and then he finally hit the game-winning. Uh, it was an ugly game. Yeah. It was a very <laughs> ugly game. Why could have Randy done that? He at least missed the kicks in the, earlier on in the game, but hit the game-winning, or get the game-tying field goal. Because the, <laughs> the Bengals and the Titans are the Titans. Um, <laughs> so do you want to get into our offensive MVP, or offensive, not MVP, but key to the game? Well, you and know defensive my key, key to the game, game is Joe Mixon. Yeah, so you want to touch on Joe Mixon, how you think that his presence is going to be Well, first of all, uh, first of all I brought this, this question was, this, this, this was brought to my attention on Twitter yesterday in, in the group chat I'm in, one of them. And, and that is, we look at, you can look at the talent on this field and you can, you can mesh them into three, two trios. The Bengals have Joe Mixon, uh, A.J. Green, and Tyler Boyd. The Browns have Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., and Jarvis Landry. Which talent would you rather have? Now, if I'm looking at this from a national perspective, I'm going to remove my bias and say the Browns because I've seen what Nick Chubb can do because I know Odell Beckham Jr. when he performs as best as a top five wide receiver and Jarvis Landry is as good as they come in the slot. But the problem with the Browns talent, it might be more prolific than the Bengals, but it's very, very close. Yeah, I would agree. It's extremely close. I take the Browns. The problem is... The Browns' talent is not coached. Nick Chubb, like I said, should be getting 20, 25 carries a game. Odell Beckham should be targeted 15 times. Part of that's Kevin Stefanski. Part of that's Baker Mayfield. The problem with Mayfield is it's not him, not just him. It's the fact that think about who he's played for. Hugh Jackson. Was it Hugh Jackson? Yeah, Hugh Jackson. What a time that was. Uh, Greg Williams. Freddie Kitchens. That didn't work. Kevin Stefanski. I mean, there, there, there was this graphic during the game on CBS the other uh, on Sunday, and it went. Uh, it showed. Let me see if I can find it. But I would. I, I, I would completely I agree with you on that thing about if I would completely take my bias off the Brown or off the both teams, I would probably pick the Browns, just because you know Odell Beckham is an elite wide receiver. Jarvis Landry is a great slot wide receiver, and Nick Chubb is an up and coming you know number one back in this league. But AJ Green's getting a little older. Tyler Boyd, while he has been good, he hasn't. I don't think he gets the national coverage that he need that he deserves. Joe Mixon, I think that he he's not he's he's not giving the ball as much as he should be. I think in a perfect scenario where the teams are utilized how they should, all the players are utilized as they should. I think I would definitely go with the Browns trio. Well, that's why tonight is tonight's also important for the Bengals because if Mixon and Boyd want to get the respect that they quite frankly think they deserve. I think they deserve too. Here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity to go out there and prove to the nation this is the kind of team we have. The Bengals may not go to the playoffs this year. You know what? 
They're not supposed to this year. The Browns, they're supposed to go because they have talent. That's why if they lose this game, they are getting every national media attention. And it's going to be a beautiful thing, by the way, to see it as Bengals fans. So the graphic here, Baker Mayfield has played for four different head coaches and offensive coordinators. That, you can't develop a quarterback like that. He has regressed since then because of the coaching changes. Now, you think about the Bengals and Zach Taylor. The one problem I have with Zach Taylor, it's kind of similar to Kevin Stefanski. Zach Taylor doesn't know how to coach in situations. You got to be aggressive at the end of the first half, and you sure as heck have to run the football on that third down. Keep the clock moving. You, you can coach in the moment and be in the present, but you also have to think, okay, this is getting to the end of the third quarter. How is the how is the Chargers defense doing? If you're thinking about all aspects of the game, this is what separates Bill Belichick and Andy Reid. I'll even put Pete Carroll and maybe Pete Carroll and Sean Payton in there. This is what separates them from the good coaches, from the great coaches, from the good coaches. They know everything about the game within the game. There, there are situ- it's situational football. You have to think about all these things. Zach Taylor has not done that yet. No, I completely agree. And tonight he has an opportunity to prove himself. The Bengals have never won a road game under Zach Taylor. They haven't won a road game in nearly two years, by the way. The Bengals have an opportunity, and this is something that Mo Egger talked about yesterday on ESPN 1530, to change the narrative. You go into Cleveland and you win tonight. You're one and one. You have 10 days off. I imagine they're getting the weekend off Mm -hmm. from a road game on Thursday Night Football. And then you start thinking, hmm, Philadelphia struggled. Now I know it's one game. Who knows if Philly could come out on Sunday and look really good. Let me tell you something. There's a huge difference in sample size between one and two games in the NFL. Last year, we thought the Bengals could be really good after week one. After week two, we're <laughs> like, mm, maybe not so much. Yeah. Two games into the NFL season, it, that's a good sample size. 0-2 in the NFL, that's putting your team, so to speak, in critical condition. No, I completely agree. And I also want to bring up Zach Taylor, and I think, you know, you say he's not very good in situational football. I think what I want to see him do tonight is kind of like what we wanted him to do in week one when Bobby Hart was struggling. We want to see him make those changes because he, he obviously understands that his players are not playing very well. He said that in his press conference. I want to see him, if a guy, if Bobby Hart is struggling, I want to see him at least, you know, go consult with Jim Turner, bring in Fred Johnson, bring in Hakeem... Uh, Adenajai. You know, bring in someone that might have an impact. And that's going to get into my offense key of the game. I think he's going to... I'm going to say Bobby Hart. Because if that guy plays well through the entire game, then I think that we have a much better shot of winning this game than if he were not. Because you saw how bad he got beat by Bosa. And Garrett's arguably better. And we need Bobby Hart to play well. And he has not shown it yet. And I think that if he doesn't show it in this next game or two, then I think that he's going to be seeing the bench after, even after they signed him to that big deal. So I think that he's my offensive key to the game just because their defensive line is so good and so talented. And I think I'm not, I'm not as worried about Jonah Williams, but Bobby Hart, I think that if he plays well, then Joe Burrow will be able to get more comfortable. He'll be able to get the ball out of his hands faster. He'll just, overall, he won't have to scramble out of the pocket and make these crazy throws on the run. And I think that overall he'll just feel more comfortable, and that's what you want for a rookie in his first primetime game and on a road game in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, he has to, he, Burrow has to be protected. If he is, this offense can be really good. 
Yeah. All right. Now, defensively, this is interesting because I can give you a, I can give you a player on all three levels. I'll tell you one guy though I want to see tonight, and that's Darius Phillips. Because my guess is he's going he's gonna to go up against Beckham. Yeah. And they'll put Alexander in the nickel corner on Jarvis Landry. The matchup between Phillips and Mike Williams of the Chargers on Sunday, that was a mismatch. I mean, that was a mismatch out of the Wazoos. Yeah. Odell Beckham's very similar to Mike Williams. Odell Beckham, he's, he's tall, he's strong. You know, he, he's got unbelievable athleticism, as Kevin Stefanski says. Um, if we... If Darius Phillips is able to somehow contain him. If you can limit Beckham to his stat line that he had on Sunday against the Ravens, this team can be in a position to win. Now, I'll also give you uh, Mackenzie Alexander. He's obviously a big key because if he shuts down Jarvis Landry, apparently Baker Mayfield thinks that's the only weapon he has on offense. What's he going to do if Jarvis Landry is, isn't open on you know six targets in the game? So I can give you another key on the, de- on the defensive line. It's the defensive ends. Sam Hubbard, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, can they generate pressure on midfield? Can they, you know, take advantage of a banged up Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin at tackles? And then linebackers, look, those are obviously key players as well. Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis Gaither. It's really the entire defense that you can say is the key to the game. But if I had to pick one key player, I would go Mackenzie Alexander. Strictly because Jarvis Landry has been proven to be Baker Mayfield's number one option. And it's been that way ever since his rookie year. That's that's one thing, too. You can say, well, why is he targeting Odell Beckham? Why is he not throwing to Odell Beckham? Because he has a connection with Jarvis Landry. Now, having four coaches and four, four head coaches and four offensive coordinators in the short time that Mayfield's been in the league, that hasn't helped his development. If you keep the same coaching staff, they're going to tell you eventually, hey, uh, you know you got a top five wide receiver on the hmm. perimeter lining up almost, almost every snap, if not every snap of the game and in the season. Mayfield hasn't figured that out yet. Hopefully tonight he won't for our sake. But that's why Mackenzie Alexander is my key player. He's going up against Jarvis Landry. Unless they put William Jackson on him, but I don't think they would do that. They're probably going to put... Well, I know last year in the home game for Cleveland, they had William Jackson on um, Odell Beckham the majority of the time. Okay, so I have that mixed up then. They're going to probably put William Jackson on Odell Beckham. Yeah. And they're probably going to put Darius Phillips on like Hodge or someone. Yeah. And they'll put... Unless they put Jackson on Jarvis Landry. I don't know if you remember last year, Darius Phillips in the home game, in the last game of the season, he had two interceptions. He, he did have two and interceptions. He went, and he went up against Odell the majority of the game. I believe so. That's correct. Yeah, and so he played well. So, I mean, I don't know if it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Marshawn Lattimore, Mike Evans, where Mike Evans struggles against the one corner. Uh, I don't know if that's the same with Odell and Darius Phillips. but uh, Well, we'll find out. I mean, because we, we've seen two games. So, wait, so who am I to... Okay, so if they're going to put Jackson on Beckham... Correct. They're Mackenzie put, Alexander on Landry. Will they, though, or will they put um, Phillips? I think they'll probably... I would put William Jackson absolutely on Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. Don't put Darius Phillips on him. Phillips is not nearly... Phillips can't cover those guys at wide receivers. It's a mismatch all the way. If you put Phillips on Hodge, who Hodge is like their number three option, although he got targeted... Um, you know, he was targeted on Sunday for whatever reason... Um, and then you put Alexander on Landry. So my key to the game is Mackenzie Alexander. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll also be interested to see how much LaShawn Sims plays because he's coming back for this first game of the year after being out for personal reasons. So Same with Jesse Bates. I mean, he played really well yeah. on Sunday against the Chargers. Um, so we mentioned, who, who's your key defensive player? My key defensive player of the game is going to be DJ Reader because Gino's out. 
Mike Daniels is out, and Gino was out last week, so it's they know they know that they're not going to be with him. But Mike Daniels being out, it's going to be Reader and Christian Covington. And I know we talked about on our recap show after the first game that you know when Reader got taken out, you know this defense struggled against the run. They took advantage. They immediately went straight up the middle and they got big chunk yardage on these runs. And so if Reader, as long as he can stay in the game and hopefully you know stay healthy and not cramp up again. I think that he's going to be the key to this game because you look at the running backs that they have, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, we've been talking about them all, all show. They're great running backs, and as long as, I mean, who knows, maybe if Kevin Stefanski knows any better or doesn't know any better, he might just not go up the middle at all. But I think if Reader can play well, then it's definitely going to lessen the blow of Geno and Mike Daniels not being there. And you think about he's not going to have to contend with J.C. Treader, who's out for the Brown Center, who's out tonight, so... There's an opportunity there for DJ Reader to make a really significant impact on the game. So your key is so your keys are in the trenches. Mine are kind of more with the skill players, Joe Mixon and Mackenzie Alexander. You got Bobby Hart, which <sighs> Yeah, I'd say I'd say, Yeah, I'd say Bobby Hart just simply because if he plays well, I think it will be significant in the fact that Joe Burrow's not getting hit every play, but I think if he doesn't play well, then, you know, we're in for a very long night. So. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, gosh. I mean, if, if Miles Garrett's getting after Joe Burrow, it's going to be a – yeah. So I, I work from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. after the game. I, I don't want to be exhausted from watching Miles Garrett just wreck Bobby Hart. Now, then again, if that happens, I might be drinking a few Michelob Ultras during the game. But <laughs> anyway um, – what we got left, Alex. Um, I want to pose you a question, and I think this is something that I know that we're not very we're not thinking about a lot. But what happens if the Bengals lose tonight? What? And I know it, it all depends on how they play and the score and whatnot. But if the Bengals lose another close game tonight, how does how do you feel your feeling change from you know right now we're look from the outside looking in? You know this is a very winnable game, and then they have Philadelphia, and then they have Jacksonville, two games that they could very easily win judging how how these two teams play in the next week or so. And more so with Jacksonville, but if the Bengals lose tonight, let's say it's close, frustration is going to set in because then it's going to be on Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. Zach Taylor now has a roster. Last year, we kind of gave him a little bit of slack, and rightfully so. I'm, I'm not cutting him any slack this year. He's got to prove himself tonight. If the, Bengals lose a, if the Bengals lose another close game, oh yeah, you better believe on the reaction show, I'm going to be looking at what Zach Taylor did not do right as far as coaching. Again, coaching will decide tonight's game. Whichever coach can coach the best situationally, whichever coach can get the most talent out of the trio of players that we mentioned for both teams in the Bengals and the Browns, that's what's going to determine the winner of this game. And And, yeah, frustration will set in. I'll only look at Zach Taylor. If the Bengals lose, let's say, 23-20, I'm not going to blame Joe Burrow for that. I'm not going to blame the defense even for that. I'm going to blame Zach Taylor. Oh, yeah. Now, what do you... Let me... I'll turn that question back on to you. The If we lose tonight? If we lose... Now, what if we lose in a blowout? Which I don't think will happen. I mean, if we lose in a blowout, you think about that Thursday night football game a few years ago when the Bengals played at home against the Browns. And they oh, gosh. <laughs> That's... Woo! I mean, you think about if something catastrophic like that were to happen. I think that... It, I think it all depends on how Joe Burrow plays. If he completely... If he comes out and throws two, three interceptions, then I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I might be starting to worry. But then again, it's only two games in for a rookie quarterback, so you can't 
you can't get down on him too fast. But just like you, I think you look at Zach Taylor, and just like you mentioned last year, you give him some slack because it's his first year with a new team, and you know that he's a first-year head coach. He he's young. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience in the NFL, and so. But if we lose tonight in a blow, I think that we start looking at Zach Taylor and we say, dude, if you don't get it together, I mean, I don't know if you're going to be our head coach for very much longer. And it's so important for a, you know, a rookie quarterback. We look at the Browns and the coaching turnovers that they've had with Baker Mayfield. It's so important for Joe Burrow and the Bengals to win this game because then it's going to make Zach Taylor look a little bit better. Zach Taylor does some things that I like, but he also does some things I don't like. Think about this. He's a young, he's a young head coach who had never even been, well, outside of you know an interim stint in Miami, a coordinator, an offensive coordinator. At least Kevin Stefanski, with his 14 years in Minnesota, he worked his way up. He worked his way up from an assistant coach to quarterbacks, to running backs, I believe, to interim offensive coordinator. And then last year was the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, who quite frankly had one of the better offenses in the league. Kirk Cousins, I remember last year I got chastised by my co-host Zach Fries on Sports Any Way You Want. And I'm like, yeah. In October, I'm like, uh, Kirk Cousins is going to win out NFC Offensive Player of the Month. And he's like, get out of here. Guess what? He did. I said Kirk Cousins is a Dark Horse MVP candidate. Guess what? He was. Okay. But you're right. If the Bengals, if the Bengals get blown out tonight, then, it's gonna, then, then we might raise some questions about Joe Burrow. But it's so important for the development of Joe Burrow that they win tonight. Because if they do, that's going to set a lot of confidence. And you think... What's the significance of this game between two 0-1 teams who haven't done much when it comes to success over maybe the last 20 years? Oh, there's some significance in this game, all right. The Browns have been the most hyped team for the last two years, hmm. and they haven't done nearly squat with that. The Bengals, um, they've been almost irrelevant the last four years. And, you know, as for as much improved as they might be, they haven't, you know, they haven't had an opportunity to show it. This is your opportunity. Take advantage of it. Joe Burrow's ready. Yeah, and I, th- I want to add one more thing. That Zach Taylor, I think the one thing I want to see him do more than anything is make adjustments with what's not working and keep, wor- and keep doing what is working. You know, if Joe Mixon, if he has a high hand, if he's getting these big chunk yard plays, don't be scared to keep using him. I mean, I know you have all these weapons on the outside, but just, use what, just do what's working. And I don't want to see him... You know, question. I don't want to see him question anything. I don't want to see him second guess. But the other, on the other side, like if Bobby Hart's not playing well, I want to see him bring in like a Fred Johnson. I want to see him just make adjustments where they're needed. I don't want to see him and then in the post game press conference say, "Oh well, yeah, I know he didn't play well, but we just got to do better." You know, give him a, give him some help on that side. No, I want to. Yeah, this isn't Marvin Lewis now. Yeah, no, exactly, and that's exactly what I'm thinking of is Marvin Lewis when I hear those types of things, and it's very frustrating because we had that for so so long, and then you bring in Zach Taylor, and he's supposed to be that basically anti Marvin Lewis. He's a young new head coach, offensive minded, and I think that which in ways he's not Marvin Lewis. I mean, he he does make adjustments. He coaches sixty minutes. You know, he's he's got this team united on both sides of the ball mm-hmm. he's done some good things yeah but now it's like okay he needs to win football games yeah all right so as we're ending or going to the last couple minutes do you want to give our score predictions for tonight so um for some reason after the game ended sunday i, I even said to you we're winning thursday night yeah guess what i'm sticking to it Bengals 23 14 we'll get to one and one and we'll have a Pretty nice weekend here in Cincinnati. Exactly. And I'm right there with you. I think that this is a game that we should win. I think this is a game 
a game that we are going to win. I said we win 28-21. All right. So that's you, it. You heard it here. You heard it here first. <laughs> so we're sitting at one and one. Hopefully after this week, and hopefully we're talking to you guys next with a smile on our face, not a uh, and some rest because we've done a lot the last two games. Two games in five days is no joke. No, no, and it's a lot for us. It's a lot for the team. So you know, we're we're, we're kind of like NFL players. We're working around the clock here. So I'm on a three. I'm on three hours of sleep right now. I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys for listening. I'm Justin Cashman. He is Alex Frank. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.